Welcome to the new era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Web3, the new era. Today, we are interviewing Mike, aka Basquire, who is a corporate transactional attorney that is filling a critical need in the NFT space with his company, Yord, which stands for Your Own Research Done, a play on the do-your-own-research phrase that everyone in the Web3 space has heard time and time again. But Yord is redefining what it means to do your own research by creating a platform to allow the community and a trusted panel of analysts to leave reviews for NFT projects across all blockchains, kind of like Rotten Tomatoes meets Wikipedia meets Yelp. Listen in to hear Mike talk about how the culture of Solana has changed since the summer of 2021, the gap Yord is filling in the market for both native Web3 goers and new people interested in onboarding from Web2, the problem with the current NFT investment model that throws millions of dollars at anyone with a good idea, and how he's building for the future. With all of that said, let's get into the interview. All right, and we are live. So today we have Basquire, aka Mike, here with us, who is the founder of Yord. And Mike is going to get more in depth about what exactly Yord is. But in a nutshell, he pretty much had this idea of like Rotten Tomatoes meets Wikipedia type platform, but targeted towards showcasing reviews and information about NFT projects. So really a space for people to come and find information that allows them to make better, more informed investment decisions. So I'll pass it over to you, Mike, to tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into the space. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. And that was a great intro, probably better than the elevator pitch I could give on it. But yeah, my name is Mike. I'm a corporate transactional attorney that has somehow found his way into the Web3 space. And uh, about a, eight months ago now, I ha- had this idea when I was struggling to onboard friends and family to the space that why isn't there a, a starting place for them in their NFT journey? And where can I leave them after I've shown them the ropes where it is a familiar and comfortable place for them to learn about NFT projects, get all that information, and also understand from the community what they're saying about these projects. And it kind of hit me like a, a brick in the face. It was actually in December, and I, I found the tweet the other day and, and pinned it to my account of, you know, why isn't there a Rotten Tomatoes for NFTs? And and I had this idea in, in December and, and ran with it, and we're approaching launch in like the next two days. Wow, that's awesome. And I know you just mentioned that you were or are a corporate transactional attorney in big law. Do you still practice law or is that something that you've kind of put on the back burner to focus full time on, you know, growing your company? Yeah, so I've been practicing law for over a decade, was at big law for about seven or eight years, Uh, about two years ago, went in-house which gave me a little more bandwidth, which also coincided when I sort of entered into the crypto space, which started in DeFi. And it was fortunate enough that it was, you know, right at the bull run. So I had some positive outcomes there at the beginning. I found my way into the NFT space and it really spoke to me in the sense of the real world utility, the actual potential 
of what NFTs could be outside of the 10K collections that you see currently, but the use cases are, are sort of endless and we've already started to see that. And it's exciting to see where it's going to go over the next few years. And that really caught my attention. So I really wanted to get involved in that space and I had bandwidth at my current job. And, you know, I've been looking for, you know, starting something that that's my own on the side and with my passion for the crypto space and NFT space. And then this, this idea coming to me at the end of last year, it kind of all just kind of made sense, but I'm still practicing uh, and we'll see, we'll see where your takes me. Yeah. So you mentioned that you kind of got into crypto and NFTs during the bull run. You started sort of in the, the DeFi realm. I'm curious what led you there? How, I feel like everybody has a different origin story. A lot of times I hear, you know, word of mouth, my friend got me into this space. I personally was introduced to NFTs through TikTok of all things. So I just want to hear a little bit more about where your journey brought you to, to even realize that NFTs are a thing and, and the potential of them. Sure. Yeah, no, everyone has an interesting story. Unfortunately, it wasn't in like 2013 when my friend came to me and said, hey, give me $500 to build this Bitcoin mining computer and I'll split with you everything that I get. And I just, you know, shrugged him off and said, no, get out of here. You're, you're insane. That was my first mistake. Um, but no, I would say about three years ago, a few of my childhood friends, we started sort of a collective fund to just invest in the market generally. And one of our friends was investing in crypto and I had started investing in crypto slightly and eventually transitioned to that fund investing fully in crypto. And the collective brain power of like the seven of us ended up, you know, one of us started hearing about NFTs at the beginning of 2021. And a few of us, you know, went on to pursuing them aside from that fund. And yeah, I think like half of us are involved in, in some way in NFTs and myself and another are pretty deeply involved. So you've had an early, early exposure to NFTs. Are there any notable buy-ins that you had or anything significant that you remember? I mean, it sounds like you've been here for a minute. Yeah. I mean, I got here, like I said, the beginning of 2021 on Ethereum. I had more misses than buys for sure, you know, because I'm sure as everyone was, when you first started, you didn't have the same conviction. And maybe it's different now when people are joining because there is that foundation there. There is that proof of whether it's, you know, utility or use or actual money. When I was there, there was still a lot of new projects, new ideas and unknowns. There weren't many marketplaces. Transacting was was difficult. So having conviction in that was difficult, especially with the fact that it was a DeFi bull market. So you didn't want to leave money, you know, take money out of that. I watched Board Ape Mint and I unfortunately did not partake in that. Um, and, you know, as it kept on going up, I was like, oh yeah, you know, it'll go back down. It'll, it'll correct. It'll correct. And yeah, I mean, it never corrected. <laughs> you know, you learn from all of those things. At least you hope you learn from all of those things. I bought a few, you know, like World of Women and, you know, those other ones that were you know, the second tier cool cats, you know, and flipped those and, and made, made some good money at the beginning of Ethereum, was really in the art scene in Ethereum, actually connected with this one artist who had her own one of one collection that was like a 200 piece collection that she built this great following and it, 
it opened me up to the the art scene in Ethereum and the limitations on gas. I mean, I think it was the day that WTF.gas came out and I checked how much I spent on gas in like a six month period. And I'd already been dabbling in Solana a little bit, but that that day I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done with Ethereum. And, and I fully made the move really into Solana. I still play around in Ethereum every now and then, but you know, the community back then, this was, you know, early fall, late, late summer, early fall of last year was just, it was a different, it was a different feel than the Ethereum community. And it just aligned with what, you know, I appreciated and yeah, found my way there and really haven't looked back since. Wait, so you saw how much you spent on gas and you said, I am totally done with Ethereum NFTs for now. Can I ask what that number was? That must have been an insane eye-opening shock to see that if you switch chains like right after. Yeah, it was, um, it, thankfully it didn't hit the six figures, but okay. it, was, it was in the five figures. Oh, no. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like all in all, I've remained green and I'm very much of a profit maxi and I, I protect profits at all costs. I view this space as a play space still and I pride myself on the fact that I haven't put more money into it in, in over like two years and I just play with profits, but I also take out profits. And, and I think, you know, you, you have to protect profits in this space because unrealized gains are the worst thing. Something you just said a couple of moments ago really stuck with me. You said back when you were kind of dabbling in Solana and getting integrated into that community coming from Ethereum, the community feel, the vibe here in Solana back in summer of 2021-ish was something that you admired, something that you appreciated and that you were kind of looking for. I'm curious to hear your perspective on how that general vibe and that general sentiment of the Solana community has changed from summer of 2021 to now, because I know Solana really blew up and sort of became, you know, quote unquote, mainstream, not really, but for lack of a better word, towards the end of last year. So what are some of the key differences in the culture that you've kind of seen? Oh, yeah. great, great question. And it, and it has totally changed. And, and it's, it's, you know, the same thing with any type of environment or, you know, ecosystem where, acceptance, onboarding, adoption occurs. It's like a social club initially, or it has a certain feel initially. And everyone prides themselves to being there and saying, you, you don't know what it was like back then, but that's how it always goes. You know, it develops and the masses come, you know, at the beginning, everyone knew everyone, you know, you watch these individuals who were just anyone else and became influencers, however, whichever path that they came you watched how projects minted out or how they were learning on the fly to actually mint on chain. You know, you watched not just your own stripes, you know, earning your own stripes, but the, the chain and the ecosystem too. And that was great to be a part of from the beginning because it, it gave you a greater appreciation for where Solana and the, the NFT ecosystem ha has come. You know, certain personalities, certain individuals, certain communities that have grown from that. So, you know, I don't think it's it's worse off with adoption. I, I mean, I think adoption is what we need in this space as a whole. We need to tailor it to, you know, opening those doors, allowing people to come in both, you know, so it becomes accepted and also just as importantly, so the money flows in because right now we're all just in an echo chamber circling the, the money at each mint. We really want to bring a bull run, really want this to be established. We have to, you know, allow that change to happen. So what I think is different is, you know, now there's all these sub communities that, you know, I can't stay on top of 
And there's different clicks is lack for a better word of, you know, there's different groups. You can see them in spaces. You can see them in, in different projects, influencer follower groups, which is interesting because um, it was a different mood. And it was also a bull run back then. You know, it's been, it's been a, a bear for a good while now. So I think, you know, also the, the sentiment also changes how people react and behave. Yeah, man, a hundred percent. And it's funny, you put a large emphasis on onboarding and you kind of mentioned it's, it's something I've been thinking about. Like if there's no one incentivizing new money to come in, you really do have like stale liquidity just kind of rotating through these new mints that are, I mean, most of them are BS. Most of them kind of ride the meta. Like the past like two, three days, I went on the new collections page and it was all just like the DCF, um, not DCF. Yeah, the DGen coin flip, like mm-hmm. some kind of copycat of that. Yeah. Just like the cheapest mentality, 80%, 88% back to the holders. And like, those are all rugs, dude. We see those time and time and time again. What's really funny is that's like the second time that this meta has come around. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how, mm-hmm. that's how bad of a bear we're in is like innovation is lacking right now. And, you know, hopefully one of the larger upcoming mints will help stimulate things. Or if we keep on going up a little bit, I don't know if this is a bear trap or not, but we'll see with Solana going up right now. You know, I think at the end of the day to, to answer it, to really address it is we have to have new voices, new, new personalities here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the personalities are coming, which is great. And, you know, now there's a new meta of like having to be in spaces or, you know, like the FUD meta and all <laughs> of these things. And that's healthy. That's good for the community to figure out what, what it wants and like even just like what happened with y'all recently yep we want the market to figure itself out because um you know yeah i mean it shakes out people who don't want to be here and it it brings more people on but we can't be onboarding one person at a time well that's kind of the beauty and you kind of alluded to this earlier is this like this natural human tendency to kind of subdivide and get into these groups right so whether for better or worse politics and like all sides of that you see the same thing with the NFT community. You said originally that it was pretty small. Everyone knew everyone. There's only so much kind of subdivision happening because, I mean, the space was only so big. But now that we have these little pockets of people interested in different things, I mean, to the extent that we're all here for greed, like that's going to slow down our progress. Unfortunately, like that, I feel like that's just the reality of it. But on the other hand, when you have subdivisions of people interested in different things, now we have all these conversations about the y'all royalties and the innovation that that could lead to and potentially dynamic royalties being built into the metadata of an NFT, for example, right? So I think with every every new challenge, hopefully we, we have some kind of tech innovation that comes with it. Otherwise, it's just going to be stale and very similar for a long time, sadly. But to get that kind of market overview, like it's not easy. So, I mean, that's why we brought you on here. Tell us a little bit about your company, Yord. We'll get into specifics about different components of what you're building, but like at a very high level, what do you guys do? What gap are you filling in the market? And how are you trying to provide value for consumers or even trying to onboard? Yeah. I mean, this this is a great segue to it. It was really a problem I was trying to solve. And I know I touched on this a little bit in the intro. In the fall, you know, early winter of, of last year, I had friends, family, reaching out to me saying, you know, I know you're investing in NFTs and they saw on the news, you know, Board Ape or something else, you know, selling for a million dollars. And they would say like, help onboard me. Like help me, how do I, how do I spend my money on NFTs or tell me what to do or better yet, here's my money invested for me. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, sorry, it's going to go to zero. Not, not going to do that for you. 
but I would with a few friends have those conversations and they ended up being three, four, five hour conversations where I'm teaching them not only just how to set up a wallet, not only not to click on links and to avoid, you know, potential malicious rugs or, you know, NFTs in their wallets, but also just overarching strategy and overarching factual information, not really on-chain information, but factual information about projects, explaining, you know, the SMB, you know, what it's come through from Gen 1 to Gen 2 and individual characters in the space, you know, individual personalities and, and people that, you know, we look up to and who have done, you know, tremendous things to the space and giving them that like history lesson and the, those facts and the, the education is, is a lot. And that made me realize like there was nowhere to, you know, help them do that research themselves rather than having to like deep dive into discords or be there from the start and following a Twitter account and engaging the community that way. There was no way to get all of that information in one place and also understand that elusive community element. And like I said, that's when it hit me in the face. Like there's no Yelp, there's no Rotten Tomatoes, there's no Wikipedia, you know, for the facts and for what everyone is saying. And yeah, so like in the spring, early spring, late winter, I, I had a beta created, you know, an MVP and tested it. And it was, you know, it was, it was garbage. It was embarrassing. It was an embarrassing product, not anything that I would want it to look like. But the initial response that I got from people on the outside who were like, wow, I need this. And people on the inside even um, were saying like, wow, this is a great you know, resource to have, uh, made me realize I, I had to pursue it. So ended up hiring a full stack team, bringing on a product designer and uh, overhauled the product, you know, the front end and the back end over the last few months. And like I said, yeah, we're at that point to launch, which is pretty wild to think that we're here. That's nuts. And just to clarify for our viewers, MVP was minimum viable product, I believe. And, and I think I realized that I didn't even answer your question. So, you know, what we were setting out to, you know, the, the goals of, of the product are twofold. The first is to create a place of transparency and project accountability and a, a verification tool that is, you know, a community-based verification tool because third-party verification tools do not work in this space. We've learned that whether it's launch pads trying to give a stamp of approval or third-party products that are saying, you know, we've, we've interviewed the team, we, you know, they docs, they did this, there'll still be rooks. And so I'm not trying to give any kind of third-party, you know, verification or, or stamp of approval but the community is saying, you know, like these are the positive or negative things by giving those community-based reviews. On the other hand, equally as important as a goal is to create a familiar and unintimidating resource for individuals to start their NFT journey. So for example, if I had seen a movie last weekend and I said to you, hey, I saw this great movie or I went to a restaurant, I said, you know, this great restaurant I went to, you should check it out. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to probably... You know, look at Rotten Tomatoes about the movie or go to Yelp for the restaurant and look at the reviews and see if it's something that interests you. You need to know what a movie is before you go to Rotten Tomatoes. You need to know what a restaurant is before you go to Yelp. But you don't need to know anything else. And that's similar to what we're trying to create. Like you need to know what an NFT is. So we're not step one, but we're like step two in the process. So one thing you mentioned earlier, you talked about how people on the outside said they needed the product when you tested it, right? Can you talk about like what the outside interest looked like in terms of their interest in NFTs and utilizing your platform? Their interest was to get the repository of information. And I let you guys know this earlier, you know, I'm in the boomer DAO and 
Discord is is my worst nightmare. I, <laughs> I despise it. And I think almost everyone in the space, even the younger generations, don't, don't like, like it, it. But it's a necessary evil right yep. now. There's nothing else out there for people to use. And it's easy to get lost. Information is easy to get lost. And, you know, it's, it's hard to stay on top of all the alerts and all the channels and all the projects you're following. It's not just hard. It's impossible. And so for people who are not familiar with Discord, for people who didn't use Twitter for anything, like I never used Twitter until I, you know, I barely did until crypto Twitter. And plenty of people don't know that that's where you need to go for your information if you're just coming into the scene. People are now turning to TikTok or YouTube or Instagram for that information. And that's fine. They should. There shouldn't just be one outlet for that information. So to have a consolidated Wikipedia style resource where you could go, you know, just like if you wanted to Google something, because right now, if you heard about an NFT project, it's not like you could Google it and find the information you need to find out about it, like the mint date, the mint price, the founders, you know, the history on the project. Um, you know, notable accomplishments, anything like that, all that off chain, those facts that you would want to know that you would get from a Wikipedia page. And so, you know, providing that was something that they really, really love to see. Dude, literally 100%. Like the, the way that information is displayed right now is so incredibly scattered. It's not even fun. You have to be on the Twitter space. You have to catch the right part of the recording to get maybe an answer to your question in an AMA. Or hopefully they have it in their bio. And if it's not in the bio, you check their white paper. And if their white paper sucks, you might have to go to the Discord. And if it's not in the Discord, you got to ask the team. Like, Not only are there a million steps to get the info you want, but it's so scattered that onboarding has to be a nightmare, right? Like, It seems like you're trying to solve a problem of just kind of consolidating the most important information into like an easily digestible, like frictionless interface, especially if you want to onboard new people. Like, am I hitting the nail on the head there? Exactly. The easily digestible. I mean, I, I would love to show you some of the frames, you know, the pro- not even the prototype, the actual page. I've been uploading content today, but it is as basic as you think it can be for being user friendly. You know, there's not graphs or charts and as, as important as the data and analytics are to this space, that's one piece of the pie. And the other piece of the pie is that community qualitative element and, you know, the factual element from from the team, like the actual details, the actual facts, not just what the market is doing. And so we are providing that in a such a simple and, and easily digestible way that anyone will be able to utilize this platform. You know, anyone in Web2 who's familiar with any type of review platform, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Google Reviews, Yelp, you know, Rotten Tomatoes. And familiar with Wikipedia, it's it's the same type of format. What we're branding ourselves as, you know, since we're not an on-chain resource outside of connecting your wallet to create your profile, we are branding ourselves as we like to call a Web 2.5 company because we are a Web 2 centralized resource that's focused on Web 3. And we're placing ourselves right in the middle. You know, it's, it's incredible what everyone's doing in this ecosystem right now with, you know, what they're building in Web 3 and some of the technologies are, are amazing, but they're just you know, widening that gap. And I'm not saying I'm bridging that gap because I, you know, I think that term's a little, little ridiculous because, you know, it's, it's not really bridging that gap. You have to walk the people across that gap. And so we're placing ourselves in the middle there to like hold their hands. One of the things I really appreciate about you and your project and how you're marketing the project, just based off of what I've heard you say so far in this conversation, as well as the research I did prior to this, is that the purpose, like the value proposition of Yord, 
is easy to understand, right? Rotten Tomatoes meets Wikipedia. It's catchy. It's concise. And unlike many other projects' attempts at explaining their value or utility, it actually makes sense. And I also feel like this might just be because the idea itself is actually relatively simple, yet, you know, desperately needed in the space. So, you know, Wikipedia, Rotten Tomatoes, not necessarily a novel concept, but, you know, you know, it is something that already exists in Web2, but you've taken this very fundamental idea of leaving reviews to help people make better decisions, and you've introduced it to a very new space. And I'd be interested to hear kind of what your thoughts are on the quote unquote utility of, you know, most projects in in the NFT space and how, you know, most projects are attempting to communicate their value to investors. When I say most projects, you know, I'm really referring to those that aren't really providing real world utility, might be doing kind of like staking, evolution, Ponzinomics, like things like that. I'm not sure if you have a take on that. Sure. Well, so the first thing, there's two things I'd like to bring up here. The first is our goal was simple. Like, as you said, you know, to have Rotten Tomatoes meets Wikipedia, it's, it's easy to digest. It's easy to understand what our goal is and, and what we are. And we're not trying to overcomplicate it. And I think that's one thing that's lacking in the Web3 space right now is we're not lacking. It's, it's like shunned upon if you focus on Web2. So, you know, whether it's marketing efforts, whether it's, you know, the products you're building and the people who say they're bridging the gap from Web 2 to Web 3 are doing that with an NFT project. Like that's backwards, you know, like, oh, yes, you can join Web 3 by buying our NFT. Like, no, like they need to learn what Web 3 is before they're going to buy an NFT. So we are not overcomplicating it. We don't have any associated NFT, any associated token, anything like that. We are exactly just like any other web two review platform. That's the first thing. And then I think, you know, the second is I come from more of a traditional background. You know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, you know, corporate transactional attorney represented businesses my entire career of all different sizes from inception through dissolution and serving as their outside in-house counsel doing contracts for them on, on any topic, any matter, anything that needed an attorney. So for me, investing in ideas was something that was like foreign to me. And in seeing that and how low the bar is set in Web3 and especially in NFTs for saying, oh, I'm going to build this or here's my roadmap. Give me $2 million and I'll go do it. First off, you know, you never see that in the real world. Agile investors don't invest in ideas. They invest in something tangible that the founder has put blood, sweat, tears and their own money and resources in to get it to a certain level, whether it's, you know, something tangible, something with recurring revenue whatever it is, something that you know, has been proven, that, that proof is, is not a bar that we have in, in the NFT space, which is, is just wild to me. And so for me, I was of the opinion, you know, build it first, show the, the benefit of it first before asking anyone to buy into it. And like I said, I've been building this for about eight months. We just kind of went public with it about a month ago, even though the site wasn't ready, just so I could build some anticipation for it. But again, we're not asking the users to to buy in at it uh, at all. It's completely free platform. But uh, to me, that meta that we have now, I guess that's what it what it is. You know, all of these projects in one way or another are small businesses. And if you just have an idea and you're handed two million dollars to go achieve it, the second you hit a hurdle, you're going to 
run away with it. You're going to say like, that's too much. And most of these founders don't have that experience and that's fine. You know, this, this space is meant for that to, for people to learn and have those experiences now, but it is incredibly challenging to start a real business or to achieve those goals. And people have these great ideas and they're great, but, um, they're just ideas and, and people are investing millions of dollars or, you know, collectively investing millions of dollars in these ideas. And it's beyond me sometimes. Could not agree more. Uh, we say this a lot on the podcast. NFT projects are really just startups. They're really just tech startups. And and we'll get into this too, but I know you don't consider your to be an NFT project. You're, you're not kind of monetizing through NFTs. So we'll definitely get into that. But firstly, touching on something you just brought up of proof, right? Proof in this space there isn't kind of a, a standard or expectation that founders need to provide proof before we throw hundreds of thousands of dollars or potentially even millions of dollars at them, right? That's proof of credentials, like who are you, what makes you qualified, but also proof of value upfront. Like, does your product actually do what you're saying it's going to do? And do I actually think I need it? And I think one of the biggest components of operating in a decentralized space is anonymity and a lot of people not really sharing who they are and where they come from and what their you know background or prior work experience is in to help you as an investor decide if they're trustworthy, if they're qualified. And so I think sharing information about yourself and your previous work experience, your motives, your kind of incentives for starting a project and what your qualifications are is important. So I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more about kind of you and your team and what your sort of background experience is that makes your vision a solid investment. Sure. Yeah. And, and to touch on your points, you know, I mean, first, they're also investing in proof of they're not being a product first, which is crazy to me. Like the best investment that I've had in, in NFTs was in DCF because right after mint you could start flipping those coins and that product was existing right after mint and that's why it's one of the most successful projects because they always have delivered on what they said they would deliver on or they delivered on it before even saying that they would create something which um you know i don't know why more projects don't take notes from their book but for me i mean as i mentioned you know i've been representing businesses uh my entire career and know where those hurdles are. And as I mentioned, we're, we're going the traditional route. We are an LLC. We are doing traditional financing. We, you know, have a full business plan. We have, you know, pitched to investors and have our pitch deck. You know, I'm treating this as, as any of these NFT projects that are creating any kind of actual utility should be treating it as a business. And, you know, I know we're not an NFT project, but we are playing in this space and we are a business. And, you know, I have that experience serving as, you know, general counsel for multiple businesses. And I've built a team around me that have the experience in, you know, development for Web 2 and Web 3 products and product design and marketing and advisors who have started multiple startups successfully and incredibly successfully, actually, and are advising on this in, in numerous ways. And I've brought on individuals who have zero experience in Web 3 and those who have left their careers to go full-time into Web3 as advisors on our advisory board. So, you know, I'm, I'm approaching this as if it's a startup, as if it were a Web2 company that I was starting, because it is. And that's kind of the lovely thing is, like, it's not an NFT project. You guys basically consider yourselves a Web2 company. You 
pursue those traditional avenues of funding. And you do have that initial flat fee that you charge to projects to kind of establish their listing or like claim the existing profile page to allow the community and analysts to start reviewing it. You have recurring monthly subscription fees to keep the project listed. So based on this, it looks like you're only really charging the projects themselves, but the community can use the website and post reviews from their user profile. Can they do that for free entirely? Yeah. So let me clarify. So similar to like Yelp, we are going to create an initial database of, you know, the popular trending projects, the, the biggest projects that are out there. And on their profile page, it'll just be temporary information. And it'll say unclaimed, similar to the Yelp business page, until the business comes and claims it. During that time, the community and our analysts can review that project and submit reviews. And then the project can come and claim it, claim their page, pay that initial fee. Um, and then there is an ongoing subscription fee to maintain that access to their profile. And then they get to maintain their profile. They can upload whatever content, you know, there's a framework for them, but they can, you know, modify that and customize that. There are some key facts that are required some key information that's required. But other than that, then they get to, you know, tell their side of the story. They get to tell the history of where their project has been. You know, if it's D-Gods, they can tell the history of Frank or Tayo, you know, how Soulportal came in and, and, you know, took over the project. Things that newbies wouldn't know unless... Someone else explained it to them and explained their tokenomics, their utility, and put out a, a clear and concise message while also having the ability to respond to the community and the analyst reviews, which, you know, get lost in Twitter, get lost in the algos. And, you know, only certain subsets of communities might see those comments or those reviews or those threads. And here on our platform, they're stored. So each user and each analyst will have a profile page similar to Yelp where I would click on your name and be able to see all the reviews you've done for every project. And so the projects who have either uh, claimed their pages or have requested to be listed because they, we, they didn't have a temporary page will now have access to see all those reviews and respond to them. But to your second question, for users, it is completely free platform. There's no charge to them in, in any way, similar to Yelp, Rotten Tomatoes. If you do want to leave a review, you do have to connect a wallet, which creates your profile. And on your profile, it's customizable. You can put a PFP, a bio, you can link your Twitter, and that's where your reviews will be stored. So if you just want to go there and browse, you don't have to connect a wallet. You know, what's interesting about your platform is that you plan to consolidate and cover information, have reviews posted for every NFT project across all blockchains. And that's unlike many projects who kind of tend to limit themselves to like a single chain, at least at first. Your idea really transcends across blockchains pretty effortlessly, at least from like a technical perspective. It doesn't seem that complicated to achieve, although I guess that also depends on whether you'll be storing data on chain and requiring some aspect of kind of like blockchain transactions versus hosting data in a centralized location, because obviously the price of doing that on ETH, for example, would be significantly more expensive than on Solana. So when you were first conceptualizing this idea of Yord, did you ever consider piloting it on a single chain at first? And how do you plan to handle data? Like, are you going to be handling that like a typical Web2 platform to avoid those cost limitations that come with on-chain storage? 
Yes. Yeah, so, you know, we initially discussed having the reviews on chain, but then brought up the question of, you know, if we're, we're appealing to all the platforms or all the blockchains, which one do you choose or do you customize it for each one? And we came to the conclusion of it's not necessary. It's not needed. You know, like Twitter's not on chain. Discord's not on chain. And this is social qualitative information. This isn't transactions on chain. So, you know, we, again, came back to our roots of we're not trying to overcomplicate this. We're not trying to create this into something that it's not. We're not trying to have, you know, Ponzinomics or tokenomics or passive income or things that gatekeep, you know, users from wanting to either to have access to this or interest in using this. So, you know, we, we threw all of that out the window and said, we're just going to be a Web 2 platform that's focused on Web 3. And there's not enough of those. There's not enough of those where the founders of the team are deeply involved in Web 3 and understand it but are creating something for the Web2 community. And it's creating for the Web3 community as well with the transparency and the accountability and the community reviews and the analyst reviews. But as I mentioned earlier, not just the project, the ecosystem itself is leaving so much money on the table from people who want to spend money on NFTs, just don't know how, don't know where to start. And to us, we are a marketing service to the current ecosystem as a whole. I basically just want to get a sense of like how you bring your analyst team together because on the one hand, it seems like you're bringing a ton of transparency to these projects, like what their history is, what their mint price was, what they're kind of like, what the story, what their value proposition is across those five different categories that you guys list out. I'm curious about the bias, the potential bias that your analysts have. So in your white paper, it says... Analysts are paid a flat rate per review for each project reviewed to avoid any undue influence. Their job is to self-submit reviews on various NFT projects. Transparency is key to assess any potential biases. That's why all analysts disclose their position with the project and any affiliations. So I'm curious, are you able to give any examples of people on your analyst team and kind of what parameters do you use to kind of decide who's qualified and trustworthy enough to earn that label? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like right now, I'm not going to disclose names of, of those individuals yet just because we're not live. But as you can imagine, it, we didn't target the influencers or those accounts that have a thousand, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. We targeted those individuals who are giving back to the ecosystem right now, who are writing those threads, who are those respected voices, who are alpha callers and different DAOs, who want to write not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of the community and give these honest and you know, clear takes on projects, whether they're upcoming or existing. And, you know, people who have created education resources just on their own accord. And we've identified those individuals, reached out to them, you know, hand-selected them, interviewed all of them, had multiple discussions with them. And we are giving them free reign to write the reviews, whoever they see fit. Now they have like little parameters of having to identify whether they're current former or non-holder of a project, or if they're affiliated in any manner. And of course, like outside of the wallet verification, which will show whether and confirm for anyone who's leaving a review, if they're a holder, it'll put a stamp of approval as a verified holder. But, you know, can we 100% confirm that, you know, some individual isn't associated with the team? No, but that information, if it comes out, you know, we will deal with that accordingly with those analysts. But these analysts have already proven themselves to the community, and that's why we picked them. And, you know, they're not here to pump their bags or, you know, to flood a project. They're here to just 
tell the truth and help educate. So that's how we pick those individuals. And as I mentioned, we're, we're not setting any parameters of what take or position they have to, to give on a project and also the content that they're providing. Some of them are going to want to write a full lengthy overview analysis of, of the project they're reviewing. Others have YouTube channels or podcasts or are members in DAOs and they're putting their reviews there. So they'll give a TLDR on their review and then link out to the other resource. So this is also like a sounding board for them to continue to get their message out because we already see the benefit that they're giving to the ecosystem, but they're struggling, you know, as well to get that message out. Hmm. I know there's kind of two components, right? Because you have your analysts, right? Who are these quote unquote qualified vetted individuals who are trusted in the space acting as kind of like a board of critics, um, similar to Rotten Tomatoes or, you know, other sites that might um, provide critiques and reviews on movies, TV shows, etc. But then you have the community aspect where any average user can create a profile and post reviews as well. And of course, you have that verification aspect where you require the user to connect their wallet so you can verify that they're actually a holder to see if their opinion is even really informed and valid. But theoretically, if somebody, you know, just wanted to troll and spread FUD, right, and they had the liquidity, they could buy an NFT for a specific project, leave it a review that maybe is not really grounded in facts, but just is for the intent of spreading FUD, and then sell. And so I guess I'm curious, are you all doing anything on the back end to evaluate the reviews coming in to avoid people just actively spreading false FUD, but but then you think about on the flip side of that coin, how can you really delineate whether something is false FUD or somebody was just genuinely sharing an opinion, right? Right. So you bring up some great points, and you know that's the um, the double edged sword of of review platforms generally. But you know we have a number of initial gatekeeping items that you know or features that help prevent that, and then some back end features as well. So as you mentioned, you know the first thing is that they have to connect a wallet. So whether it's bots or individuals, that is a stepwise process that at least creates some barrier to entry. And of course, bots can be done to create a wallet and then, you know, create that profile and leave a review. Sure. The next thing is that the community and the projects get to respond to the reviews by either upvoting or downvoting them or even flagging them as spam. So if the community or the, you know, the analysts, whoever are reviewing these reviews, see that something is clearly false or is just trolling, they can downvote that and it'll go to the bottom of all the reviews or it can be flagged as spam. And we have a terms of use and code of conduct. And if something gets flagged as spam, you know, a thousand times, we'll review that review. And if it looks like it violates our terms of use, we will remove that. On the back end, what we have is our dev is building out a feature for wallet sort of tracking. And if a wallet is created just to create your profile, and there's no activity on that wallet, it can see that. And again, as I mentioned, every user profile will show all of your historical reviews. So if it was created just to create that wallet, there's no other action on that profile and there's just one review, we can see that that was created for that purpose and that purpose only, and we can remove that. Mm, okay. No, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And to your point of that challenge being kind of a double-edged sword for review platforms in general, right? Not just in the Web3 and NFT space. I think we're experiencing a similar 
obstacle with Web3 Connect, our project in that, you know, the concept of freelancing uh, is not new, right? That happens in Web2, but it seems that in Web3, there's just generally a higher population of malicious actors here than there there are in kind of traditional Web2 realms and websites. So there is really a need to take those extra precautions, which, you know, it seems like that's exactly what you're doing. It's just, it's unfortunate that that's the case, but um, it's something that, you know, projects definitely have to consider and, and put into place just because there seems to just be a higher population of people wanting to act with malintent. Yeah. And I think in this space where you can be anonymous, you can hide behind a computer or a PFP that leads to people's behavior, you know, being malicious or, you know, trolling, it promotes those things. And, you know, I don't think we're creating a foolproof way to avoid all of those things. And those things happen on Twitter. They happen on Discord um, all the time. But our platform, most importantly, allows you to filter through that. It allows you to say, okay, there's a thousand five-star reviews. There's a thousand one-star reviews. You know, both those ends of the spectrum, I don't really care about those opinions. I don't care about the people pumping their bags. I don't care about the people funding the project. I care about the people who are saying something important. And that also is why the analyst review is incredibly important because they're not going to be there fudding or shilling. They're going to be giving honest takes. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a super integral part to what you you guys are doing, having those two different perspectives from analysts and the community as well. And I know when it comes to reviewing something and providing you know, a comprehensive just assessment of how one feels on a certain product, website, service, et cetera, there's a lot of different components that you could be evaluating through that. And I know when it comes to Yord, your reviews are consisting of five different main elements, team and devs, community, innovation, utility, art, and then achievements and potential. And some of these things in this list can be sort of subjective and, and, and opinions may vary pretty drastically across any user that is submitting a review. Do you plan to have kind of some universal definitions for each of these categories that users can sort of reference back to just to kind of give them some prompts or some key things to think about when they're making their assessment across those five categories? That's a great piece of advice. Um, you know, we'd thought about explaining some of the categories in further detail on our information page. And, you know, we wanted to keep as much content as limited as possible as what was necessary. But you know, I think that's a great take, especially from someone entering the, the from the Web2 space. They might not know necessarily what devs means or having a way of perceiving the art. Now, we don't want to take away the subjective opinions that people may have. And I think that it's, it's a little bit of a balancing act. You know, I don't want to say to anyone like, this is what you're reviewing on because everyone's definition of like art is different. Everyone's definition of success is different. So whether a project has achieved something it is up to what, you know, what that person, how that person values it. Some people maybe think that D gods have achieved everything. Some people may think that they haven't achieved everything because they don't align with the purchase of a basketball team. So, you know, I don't really want to set guardrails upon how they define those categories. I just think that those categories and breaking down their review into several categories was imperative and not just having like a across the board, you know, one review. Mm. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. Not wanting to kind of set those guardrails because then 
that could sort of create some like undue bias in a way because you're sort of telling people how to think about something or how to interpret something. So that definitely makes sense. But to your point on the flip side of that with people coming in from Web 2 and that whole onboarding aspect, it could be helpful because I know Web 3 is really there's just it's another language. And it doesn't seem like that for those of us who have been here for a few months. But I remember back when I was a bit more active on TikTok and and making educational content on like, what is an NFT, how to invest in NFTs, like just all of the kind of fundamental concepts, I would get a flood of comments from people who have never been in the Web3 space, just confused because they're like, I'm listening to this, but I don't understand a lot of just the terms that you're using because I've never heard them before. And even though I, not to toot my own horn, I like to consider myself a pretty uh, you know, eloquent communicator. I teach, not necessarily in the traditional sense, but in my full-time job, I do a lot of kind of teaching of technical concepts in layman's terms, and I have a lot of experience with that. But even with that, there is a lot of confusion around that kind of just different language and terms that people haven't really been exposed to. So that definitely might be something that's helpful for those who are newer. But speaking of onboarding, and I know we touched on this a little bit earlier as well, Yord is doing a lot to contribute to onboarding users from Web 2 to Web 3. And of course, there are other utility, real world utility based projects that are doing the same. But from your perspective, what do you think that us as just users, you know, not from a project perspective, but us as Web3 users, what should we be doing more of to help further accelerate that onboarding process? You know, I think it starts with being transparent, whether you're using your, our platform or, or, you know, onboarding friends and family, you know, yourselves as being transparent and honest to them and being realistic about what the space is right now, because the space is learning right now. It's figuring itself out. And where it's going to be, and, and this is why I built Yord. I didn't build Yord for, you know, necessarily for the 10K projects right now. I built it for where I think the NFT ecosystem is going to be in three to five years, where I think, you know, some of these projects with real use case, real utility, you know, and when real adoption comes in, some of the larger companies and brands come into this space and want to build in it. If you want to get that information about them and what they're doing, this is the place to get it helping people be familiar and being honest with them that, you know, it is not a safe place to, to play in right now, unless you've done your own research. And that's why, you know, we, we've done that play on words with your, of your own research done, because, you know, this is where you can have it done for you. And, you know, individuals are smart, but people unfortunately follow the masses or, you know, don't make calculated decisions. And this is somewhere where, they don't have to do as much of a heavy lift to get familiar and get educated in the space. So whatever you can do as individuals to help educate and help teach without, you know, setting barriers to entry, saying like you have to earn your stripes or you have to get rugged or you have to learn this lesson in the space. People are going to stay away because you know, they're not going to bring their hard earned money to somewhere where it's going to be taken away from them if they, you know, make a wrong turn. You bring up such a good point there. And I'm so happy you just said that because I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day. And and what I'm referring to is you said you built Yord with the mindset of what this space is going to be in three to five years, not what the space is 
right now. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we're seeing with projects that are popping up every other day is that they're looking to capitalize on the current meta, the current market share, what the flippers, what the flippers in the flipper economy are looking for versus, you know, and I'm not saying all projects do this, right? There are, of course, a, a great handful of builders actually looking to grow the ecosystem in a positive manner. But I think a lot of projects tend to focus more on the very short term or very kind of nearsighted and trying to grasp current market share versus growing the pie as a whole. And I love to see, you know, genuine builders like yourself and like Yord who are looking to actually make a difference in the long term and realize that it's going to take some time to get there. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, time will shake out those others and, you know, market conditions will as well, but there are true builders in this space. And, you know, there's people who are here for the right reasons, who want this space to move forward and who know the potential of the web three space on, on almost everything we do in life. And, you know, being here, you know, when you say you're early or we're early to this, you know, I remember having this conversation with my wife a few months ago before, you know, when I was trying to figure out where I could truly, you know, identify something in this space to, to build. And I kept on saying, you know, like I'm early, but we're also late, you know, to, to NFTs in a sense, but we're early in the sense of understanding the landscape and navigating the landscape and that, that information that ability to be able to do things daily, to transact, to follow the trends, to anticipate where things are going and not be reactive, that right there is is a huge you know success in and of itself. And to be able to utilize that in a way, and that's that's you know, because I had thought about like, oh, maybe I'll do an NFT project, maybe I'll do this. And like to me that that was like short-sighted if you know I'm really trying to take that benefit of being here early and what that actually means. And not only are we early enough here to to understand and navigate the landscape and you know, p- potentially help others in the future who come even later than us, but it seems like we're also early enough to help define that landscape as well. Like the culture, the core values, the priorities, like that is all very much evolving and very much in its infancy at the moment. So to your point, like sometimes it does feel like we're not early, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, and I think in retrospect in five to 10 years, we're going to be laughing at that concept and saying, you know what, we were super early and I'm so glad that I was and that I was here to help actually contribute to building a better future. Exactly, exactly. And so kind of shifting gears here, I saw a tweet that you posted earlier today and it said, does an NFT project get to have a quote unquote beta like a software and tech product would? Or are the standards set higher since they've received all the money from Mint to accomplish you know, their intended goals and milestones? And I thought that was such a valid question and I wanted to talk a little bit about it especially if projects are receiving funds based off of just promise of execution with no real upfront value being provided. What is kind of your take on that? Yeah. I mean, I had an opinion on that. I was hoping to get some more response from other individuals. And, you know, I was responding to a a specific event that occurred with the OK Bears hibernation and some of the features that people didn't understand but 90% of these people building in this space don't know what the hell they're doing, or this is their first time doing it, as it should be, because it, you know NFTs haven't existed for 10 years. So it makes sense. But if you're being handed a million dollars, two million dollars, you know if you're going to put something out there 
for your user base, who is, you know, really your, your shareholders to utilize, to have, to benefit, to, you know, re- return on their investment. Can it be a beta? Can it be something that has flaws still? Or should they be held to a higher standard? You know, we hold them to a really low standard at the beginning and give them all their money, but it seems like it's step two and we hold them to a, a standard of they have to have something immediately ready or moving on to the next best thing. But when they do finally come and deliver something, that that delivery has to be flawless or we're, we're incredibly critical of it. And for most startups, it, it's not. And I think that's what plays, you know, like it's not helping that they're getting millions of dollars up front and then, yes, they have the money, but they don't have the technical abilities, the skills or the experience to make sure they have a flawless product because, you know, now we're on the other end of the spectrum of holding them to a really high standard. And so I think projects like Communa3 and others that are coming up with, you know, unique and innovative ways to help projects launch and actually be treated like businesses where all of their mint funds and all of the royalties go into a separate account and they get released at certain milestones when their communities say like, okay, we can release it. Or they say, we need more money to do this, this, and this. And it's not controlled by them. That is, that's like having a, you know, board of shareholders, you know, someone else controls that narrative while you're building the product. And so I think, you know, that's a level of accountability that will be seen more often. And more of what I was asking for is, you know, like, why do we feel that way? Because it, it seems that we feel that way with projects. Like if they have one slip up, that's it. Everyone's quick to FUD for, for things that are seemingly not that big of a deal or can be corrected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you bring up a really valid point in that if we're looking at NFT projects like startups, which they are, when you boil it down, they're growing, they're new, they're babies, baby businesses, and they have not figured everything out yet. And so projects getting held to this super high standard after raising that money, because now they're expected to provide millions of dollars in value. And when that's not the case, or it doesn't come quick enough, people get upset, right? They create FUD, like like you were saying. And I think one of the kind of cycles that I've noticed or trends that I've noticed in this space is that that happens time and time again, like the, the OK Bears situation of how they were just simply able to capitalize on an idea of, you know, we're all going to be okay and of their branding and of their neutral color tone of their art that was very non-offensive and of interest to a large population of people. Those types of projects come out again and again and people invest their money again and again and we're seeing the same outcomes of these projects that just have a lot of hype, have a lot of clout and end up raising all of these funds but don't necessarily deliver. One of the things that us as users should be doing to avoid this is asking those hard questions to really vet founders and teams before actually investing your money. Don't just throw your money at something simply because of hype, hoping to make a quick flip or, you know, just riding on that that clout that kind of comes with having a PFP from a certain community. I kind of like to call it like the FOMO pandemic because it's very much a pandemic in the sense that the space moves so quickly and there's always a new trend and something new and interesting coming out that people don't even, you know, think twice before they throw their money at something. And of course, that is tending to slow down a little bit in the bear market, but it's just a trend that I've noticed a lot. And if us as users continue to promote those types of projects, then it's going to be really difficult to kind of get past this 
this market behavior and grow into something that is actually like prioritizing genuine builders and, and positive long-term value. Yeah. I mean, and I think as, as more adoption comes on and people are more conservative with their investment decisions, you know, we'll always have the day trading aspects of NFTs, but whether it's the blue chips or the utility projects or the true brands or companies that come into the space, those things will be long-term investments. Those things will be true things that you, you know, you want to hold on to or, or redeemable for something in the real world um, or in the metaverse. <laughs> so un until those things are there, we're going to still have this. And until there's true adoption, this is still going to be there. And, and people are always going to FOMO into the next best thing and chase that dollar. But as I said, I think three, five, 10 years down the line, while there will be some aspect of this, I don't believe it will be what the majority is doing with NFTs. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And there was this concept that I was kind of pondering earlier today. It relates to the difference between a project and like a company or a startup. And I'm just so curious where the term project was derived from in this space and how we refer to them as NFT projects instead of like tech companies or startups. To me, the word project insinuates a very clear kind of start and end with a brief duration in the middle, like something that you're kind of working on temporarily until you achieve some very specific outcome and then you kind of move on to the next thing. And that might just be the context that I've mostly seen it used in throughout my lifetime. And some definitions are subjective, frankly, but the way that I'm defining project here seems to really fit the bill for, for many NFT projects, right? The main goal is to make money and do it as fast as possible. And, you know, then many of them either under deliver or, or don't deliver at all. And, you know, that's in comparison to the intent of what I would call a company or a startup. Those, for some reason, just feel a little bit longer term. They're kind of aiming to fill a gap or provide value in some new way, you know, to progress the ecosystem as a whole, and yeah, it was just something I was pondering. I was like, I wonder where that came from. But and then I kind of looked up the definition of project and I might be reading into it a bit too much, but it was just interesting. No, I love that. I mean, I always try to avoid calling what I'm building a project, either call it a platform or a business or a company. So people don't get confused with it being an NFT project. And I completely agree with you. And I think that's why the recent YAW discussion and the zero royalty discussion struck a, a chord, like a nerve with this, with this community is because they all rely on it and they depend on it. And it's, it's one thing, yes, of course, for it to be there and you know, the market will figure out and, and what iteration that will be, but to be solely reliant on your recurring revenue to be royalties and have no other way to make revenue and a few Outlier projects do, and those I wouldn't classify as projects, those companies do. But, you know, to me, that's a completely backwards model because you're trying to build a business, a company based on a community. And you're saying the only way we're going to make more money is if our community leaves us and sells, for, and gets replaced by other individuals. And that's crazy to me because you want your community, those people who are supporting you to stay there and to be part of that and support the project, whether it's through marketing, word of mouth, or just general support on other initiatives. So if that's your only recurring source of revenue and there's nothing else you're doing to bring money in the door, I don't know any you know, real world 
investor who would invest in something like that. And that's why the investors who invest in NFT projects only invest for the short term and get a you know a piece of the, the mint proceeds, um, unless it's like something that has true use case and utility uh, with recurring revenue. But that model will not succeed because if the community leaves you, you're done. And if your community stays with you, you're done. So it's um, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And well, not only is the only way for those traditional projects who are basing the you know their revenue model off of royalties and initial mint funds, right? One of the primary ways for them to continue to make money is, like you said, if, if their community leaves you, or alternatively, if they drop additional. NFT collections to get more mint funds, which then has a negative implication of diluting value for your initial investors. So I agree, it's not sustainable, but it seems like the concept of raising money in any other way in kind of a traditional web two way through subscriptions or initial fees, like for some reason, people in this space tend to be adversely opinionated on that. Like they seem to really not like that idea. And I wonder why, I wonder if it just kind of resembles web two a little bit too much and they're kind of not wanting that, that type of culture and model to transcend over into the web three space, or if they just prefer to pay, you know, one fee up front and never have to pay again and have value for the rest of their lives. But again, when you're thinking about long-term sustainability for a business, like that's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think anything that's asking your holders to give more, you know, like if I had shareholders and I was going back to them for additional capital contributions every, you know, two quarters, because I'm doing another raise or I'm, you know, creating another class of shares, splitting shares, whatever it is to bring more capital in at some point, like enough is enough. There needs to be a business model that's bringing in revenue externally whether it's through something in, in real life, whether, you know, some are doing validator nodes that just like, you know, they're, they're putting a certain percentage of their mint proceeds in a fund that's, you know, generating some revenue on the side and they're relying on that. That's pretty simple to do as well. But very few of them have anyone advising them on how to allocate their funds. And we don't hold them accountable to be transparent or tell us, you know, what their use of funds is and someone else, you know, controlling it, or even just like giving proof of them. Very few projects are doing that. And it's, it's again, lack of experience, and it's a lack of the, the community holding them to that standard. We, we don't care. You know, the vast majority are just in it to make the buck or the quick buck. And that's, again, that's the FOMO mentality right now. You know, there, there's a longer vision, there's a longer play here that I think will win out in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of what we're talking about here stems back to just business fundamentals and knowledge that is gained through not so much traditional education, but but really operating in a traditional workforce in a sense. And I think when you have that kind of traditional corporate experience, you're able to really just kind of look at the space and, and look at starting a project or a company in this space very differently from the perspective of like, logically, what are all of the steps I have to take to start a business? And there's a lot that goes into that. So I'm curious, just from the beginning of your journey with Yord, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered in 
entering this space and trying to create a product that is going to be of interest to this like brand new population of consumers that is very different than the consumers in Web2. I think the biggest one has been happening outside of, you know, balancing the real world and the the crypto Twitter world or whatever, the Web3 world, since it's 24-7, as we all know, and, and never stops and moves so fast. The, the biggest challenge that has been recently has been hiring and building out the team. And that even started when I was looking for devs and, you know, bringing on, you know, a partner and now building out, you know, specific roles is there is no first off like LinkedIn where you can go, you know, a few resources have popped up. It sounds like you guys are creating one that is heavily needed where individuals can connect in certain ways, whether it's for a certain skill set or for job applications or interviews, things like that. I posted on Gaius's, uh the library when I was his first post on there for uh, an employer and seeking certain roles to be filled and got some tremendous feedback. But even approaching that, you can't from like a traditional sense, you don't ask for like a resume. Half the people don't want to dox. You know, some people want to just talk over chat. Some people want to talk on video or fine with that. And then people are located all over the world and, and English isn't their first language. So, you know, that's, you know, a barrier too, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the skill set that you need or the ability to interact with the community that, you know, is on their side of the globe or not even on their side of the globe is just like the circle that they're in because they're in the Aussie DAO or they're in another DAO. So it's been very interesting going down that path, coming from a traditional background of throwing all those things that I knew out the window and still trying to validate an individual through the web three ways. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely get that. And just based off of the discussion we've had today, it's very clear that you and your team have a very strong understanding and like really good grasp on not only, you know, what you're hoping to achieve with Yord, but also kind of where you see the space going overall in the next three to five years. As you mentioned, you've kind of built Yord out to align with that in a way. And to dive a little bit deeper into that, where do you hope the space goes in the next three to five years? Like what changes would you like to see in the ecosystem and how is Yord going to contribute to that? And how can, you know, we as users contribute to that? I think information you know, you know, free public information is key right now, whether we're directly doing it or indirectly doing it. And, you know, we're gatekeeping the information and part of it at first was, you know, because we felt we were cooler than everyone. We're part of this club that no one else knows about or no one else has to get into. And to get into it, you have to, you know, pay your dues to even like entertain, you know, the conversation of, of joining one of these projects, you know, where I would love to see it is, other platforms similar to your that are being built that are making it accessible to anyone who just has an interest and maybe learns about it and says, I don't want to get involved or learns about it and says, I relate to gaming. And there's two ends of the spectrum in the gaming world right now because of lack of information where either the gamers hate NFTs or the gamers are all about it. And there's no like middle ground. And I think it's, you know, lack of information and it's the message that gets across. And so if there's just unfiltered, unbiased information out there to allow people to make their own decisions, to not be influenced, to not have to follow the trends, 
to make informed decisions is what we need to have mass adoption. And that's where I would like to see the space go. I know people are like, oh, no, regulation. No, regulation is key for us to truly thrive uh, in, to some degree. And, you know, I think making the space safer to play in and easier to play in will bring that mass adoption and will create, you know, when we look back and say we were early, like, like you just said, like, we'll, we'll laugh at it. Be like, I can't believe we did that stuff in those early days. And I'm not saying like these NFTs will be worth so much in 10 years, nothing like that. It's just like what we're doing right now, how we're transacting in Web3. Because like Web3 barely exists right now. Very few people I've ever met have truly, you know, unplugged and, you know, you can't find who they are. So, you know, to me, I'm not sure when or how we'll ever get there through mass adoption, but... You know, that's what we need for it to be what I think it's going to be in, in the next five, 10 years. 100%. Very, very well said that unfiltered access to information is what we need to have mass adoption. And if you think about like back in the, in the dot-com era in the 90s when the internet was just, just, you know, coming out really and becoming more mainstream a lot of people looked at it as just kind of a phase, looked at it as something that maybe was too new, too confusing. They didn't really think it was that big of a deal or didn't really see the underlying potential of it. And then you had companies like Yahoo, like a Google search came out in 1998. And once that information accessibility became easier, became seamless, is I think when we started to see like rapid acceleration and growth in what the internet has become and is now. So I totally agree on that point. And just to kind of wrap it up here, what would you say is like the best piece of advice that you could give somebody who wants to start a company that is kind of targeted towards the Web3 space? I would say surround yourself with people who have experience who want to advise you, who want to give feedback. When I had this idea, I pitched it to a number of people who I'd been close with in this space, who are respected individuals, who are prominent individuals now, and who are people who just have coasted, who I just heavily respect, or people who have started projects, people who you know have built on Web3. And I've just got their feedback you know, obtain their input and advice as as I've continued to navigate the space because there's so much, you know, I'm the furthest from a tech person. Like I, I don't know how half of this stuff works, but from a web two lens, I do. And, you know, I'm familiar enough with it to to have enough understanding of, you know, what makes sense from a business standpoint now. So, and I wouldn't, you know, like that information wasn't easily accessible and it wasn't something that I could obtain on my own. Others helped me, you know, so surrounding myself, you know, I'm in a number of, you know, group chats, alpha chats, or just chats with just people who I relate with and just ask those questions, whether it's openly on my Twitter, like that tweet you, you said that I tweeted this morning, that was a question for the community to get their input on so I can understand how other people are feeling about the things that I'm thinking about. And I posed that question to several groups I'm in to get their understanding, just start those discussions. That's why I love Twitter spaces too. I mean, a lot of them have gone in different directions now, but having that ability to just hop in and to, to chat, to ask questions is, is unbelievable. That's a big lift to ask people. And that's why I think, you know, for something like we're building, something like other people are building is, you know, 
making that information, allowing people to do their research in the ways that they want and, and, you know, not limiting that is necessary. So yeah, I mean, education and information are key. You know, you don't have to learn by earning your stripes. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. And that pretty much closes out all of the questions we had for you. So thank you so much, Mike, for joining us and telling us about your journey with Yord and what you're looking to achieve. And of course, you know, all of this is for entertainment purposes only, not financial advice, but truly after speaking with you and, you know, having this one and a half hour conversation and just from the research I've done, in my opinion, I think Yord is really going to be one of those ideas like Facebook or Google, where people look back at this point in time, five, 10, 15 years down the line and see your success and say, man, why didn't I think of that? Like that, it's just so obvious. It's so obviously a need for the space. Why didn't I think of that? So I'm happy and honored really that I got to have this conversation with you and hear more about what you guys are building in kind of the very early stages. So thank you so much for joining us. And I will just open it up to you to see if you have any closing thoughts or final words, how people can kind of keep up with you and what you're doing with your well, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was a pleasure. And I could only wish that I achieve one one hundredth of what those platforms have done to change those landscapes. But I, I do think there is an avenue for success like that for something like Yord in this space, just because there's a huge gap. And it is my goal. We'll see what happens. I take it each day at a time, but still having that uh, five, 10 year vision on um, what I think it will become. But as for, you know, closing remarks, I mean, please welcome anyone to, to come follow us. Twitter handles at Yord underscore wiki. You can go to our website, yord.wiki. The landing page is live. I would say uh, we're doing our soft launch in the next like two days or so. I've been up all night fixing some final tweaks with our dev and getting some of the temporary uh, project pages up there. I think we have like close to 50 or 60 listed right now. And uh, going to onboard the analysts probably this week, get them all familiar with everything. So, uh, yeah, I mean, stay tuned. You'll see some announcements soon about the soft launch and then having access to that. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, whether on the Yord handle or Basquire. I'd like to be as responsive as possible. I'm always happy to answer questions, whether it's about the product or about the ecosystem. You know, I'm here only because people have shown me the way. So uh, happy to help educate anyone else. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. Alright guys, that is all we had for you today. Make sure to follow Mike and Yord on Twitter. That's at B-A-S-S-Q-U-I-R-E underscore and at Yord underscore wiki. If you'd like to keep up with us, we're at Web3ConnectX. And if you would like to see a specific guest on the podcast, shoot us a DM and we'll try our best to get them on for you. But otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you.